Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 32. Se Chinese! talking about today what are we talking about you know the same old stuff circus <laughs> what we're doing in the circus <laughs> general general things i bet you're more excited for this afternoon yeah what are, what are we doing this afternoon josh we're going to the guggenheim to see keone and mari dance you know what is slightly uh embarrassing what's embarrassing I don't know if I should admit this, but I'm going to, because who cares? Uh, I've never been to the Guggenheim after like eight years, seven years of living here. You've never been to the Guggenheim? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know why. I've been to most of the other museums. I I like the Guggenheim. I like the design You know I haven't been to the Guggenheim because it was always annoying to get to. Where is it? It was on the Upper East Side, like Uh like right along the park. And I always lived on the West Side of Manhattan. And it was just too much trouble. Well, I'm excited to see uh, Keone and Mari doing such a fine art setting. Yes. My first experience at the Guggenheim will be watching Keone and Mari dance. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> I'm excited to do that later this afternoon. But something fun that we did, what was it, like two days ago, 24 hours ago? Uh, 36 hours ago? Yeah. 36 hours ago, as of recording this, was we made, I, I guess we can call it our first, our first virtual reality, full-on circus experience with the one and only Adam Kukler. Yes. There were many things that could have gone wrong, and they miraculously all went right. Yeah, they did. We basically, if you haven't seen the video, which you should, because Adam Kukler's act is just spectacular, and I love watching it. But we went to the subway near our place in Brooklyn and filmed Adam doing his hat juggling act in between two subway uh, lines and it happened also to be a, a subway that had like a police station yeah, so inside I was it. like don't go to a, don't go to a subway station that has a police station in it so you because you will get in trouble by the police because I guess like filming in New York is I don't know not allowed I don't or, think we did anything illegal but for sure we could have gotten like questioned just, and like, just bothered yeah. yeah so we were like well let's just see how it goes and if we get in trouble we'll just get on the train and go to the next stop and so we went down there and, you know, Adam could have definitely dropped his hat and it definitely could have gone into the rails and it definitely would have been lost forever. Or, like, he could have dropped. And with VR, you only have one take. You can't cut and try again. So the first take we did, there were trains coming in either direction. He dropped once and it was just like, okay, let's just do this again. Second time, somehow, no one was standing waiting for the train where he was performing, he came, did his performance with no drops, and then the G train came, which, if you're not from Brooklyn, the G train never comes. Like, the G train is a ghost. It came right when the song ended. Adam got on the train and left, and then all these people got off the train, and then they filled up the, the station, and it was like this magical moment. But then we had to wait for Adam to come back on the train, and we realized he didn't have his wallet or his phone. (laughs) So luckily, he made it back. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll put a link to it in the description. But, you know, many of you have been hearing us talk about what is virtual reality and circus and how do you combine them. And this is, i say, like our first really polished experiment experience. Uh, so, So go take a look at it. So Jay Gilligan, a juggler. In Sweden. In Sweden. The famous juggler in Sweden. The famous juggler. Send to you an article. He did. He sent me an article. I'm going to 
wreck the pronunciation of this girl's name. Uh, oh, no. I say Bo Clevens. B A U K E space L I E V E N S. I apologize, Boke, if you're if you're listening, and I've just mutilated your your name. Um, and I was I was wondering what I wanted to talk about about this article. It's called "The Myth Called Circus," and it sort of picks apart some ideas she has about uh, romanticism and circus, and how sort of just. Uh, romanticism and art has affected the way in which we create and think about circus, and there's plenty of which to talk about in the article. I actually want to talk about something else to do with the article and to do with people who write about circus that has been bothering me, or it's not maybe not bothering me, but it's been on my mind recently, which is that so many of the dramaturgical articles that come out about circus, particularly from European universities, in the U.S. too, but there's just more writing happening in in, in Europe. It's so difficult to read. Yes. Like, you know, Lindsay and I have been to grad school. I've read theses. I've read stuff that is considered difficult reading, and these circus articles are harder. Like, yes. you know, Lindsay and I are very familiar with circus, the terminology, the kinds of issues people are writing about, but it's so often written in this incredibly user-unfriendly way, which I think actually makes the discussion Harder. harder and puts the backs up of people by virtue of making it so deeply challenging to yeah, read so hard, it turns people off from even listening yeah. to the message yes i would agree with that uh, yeah i think there there is a so i think there's a difference between writing an intellectually stimulating article and just a undigestible indigestible undigestible indigestible <laughs> it's not gluten-free not gluten-free article uh, you know, I think, uh, especially when you want to talk about a topic that's interesting or can can be the spark of a conversation, it's hard when the article, you have to read it three or four times to just try to make sure you're completely understanding the point. Yes. Mm-hmm. So why do I, why do we bring this up? I plead with you who write about circus, who are doing an awesome job asking difficult questions about a very a topic that there isn't a lot of writing and intellectual thought about in academic settings, to make your writing more accessible to more people. Those changes you want to see will happen if more people can read your articles without feeling dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... And then we can put them on the bookshelf. Yeah. You can put all these articles on the bookshelf. That would be fun, wouldn't that? Oh, Have yeah. a whole compilation of all these different articles. Like academic articles. Our academic articles. Yeah, we should do that. Definitely. We should definitely do that. You know what? Adam Kukler, who we were talking about earlier, was over after we filmed this, this VR video. And we were looking at our bookshelf. And he's on our bookshelf as like a little kid who's 10 years old in clown makeup on the back of one of the books. With his uncle. With his uncle. With his uncle. And you know who else is in our office? Lorenzo Pizzoni. Today's guest. Today's guest. And his dad is on our wall, too. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know Lorenzo, Lorenzo is the son of Larry Pizzoni and Peggy Snyder, who founded the Pickle Family Circus and the Pickle Family Jugglers before that, I believe. And his sister is Gypsy Snyder, who uh, founded Seven Fingers. And Lorenzo grew up in the circus. Was a founding member of Seven Fingers. She was a founding member of Seven Fingers. Lorenzo grew up in the circus uh, in San Francisco and has led one of the most interesting performing careers I have ever ever heard. He's done everything from be the star of a Cirque du Soleil show, to starring on Broadway, to having your one-man show open to New York to rave rave reviews, to having his current documentary touring all around the world. 
he is a multi-talented, multifaceted man who I think most of most people who are interested in acting, who are interested in circus, who are interested in just general, what is it like to make a career on stage can learn a lot by by listening to this interview. Mm-hmm. And he's a super nice dude. Super, super nice, nice, super smart. Super, yeah, very interesting. I think the whole interview, I was smiling just because... I mean, I love listening to people talk about their lives in general, and especially when it has to do with circus. And then on top, it's like another bonus that he gets to talk about theater, too. Another one of my loves. So I think the whole interview for me was just um, fun. Yeah. It was fun to listen to. And I think... And he's got a beautiful voice, so... I know, the whole time he, he's talking, it's like, man, his voice is like so perfect and mine probably sounds like a valley girl from california no, you and lorenzo have wonderful voice training where you don't mutter you don't mutter t- mumble s- mumble sputter it's 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 a, it's a combination <laughs> of sputtering and mumbling mutter muttering um that's what i do i mutter i mutter because i have no vocal training so uh, you know apologies v- 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 to the listeners v- v- but enjoy enjoy Lindsay and lorenzo's beautiful voices <laughs> before we let you do that uh we have Five days left on our Hideaway Circus, a new virtual reality circus Kickstarter campaign. Please, please consider donating to it. I think a lot of people don't quite understand why this is important or why they should care. And it's difficult because it's a new idea in this like technology world. But I think it's important to have circus be a part of this new technology and if you go see the vr video and you like it and you're inspired by it that's what we want to keep doing and continue to experiment with so if you like it consider donating and i'll love you forever one of the reasons that i think it's this project this vr project is so special to to us is something we mentioned on the last podcast but in case you didn't hear it i I do want to reiterate it which is that through VR, we can share the best, most moving circus performances to people all over the world in a way that YouTube just doesn't. Um, and I know a lot of people think, oh, you know, circus on YouTube is not not as good as circus live, which I would agree. But circus in virtual reality is different because it feels 99.9% as live as live circus does. And though of course there is no substitution for going and seeing somebody in person. I think this is the future of the way in which we can share our art form. Yes, our goal is not to get rid of the live performance art in theater or in circus. That is not our goal. That is our number one love and passion. However, there is definitely something that can be done to help more people see the art that is being done live in a specific area. And that's what's exciting about virtual reality. The fact that now this live show that, you know, I don't know how many people saw because it was just in their one town. Now all these other people can now see it But I mean, this is, this is literally the example. We did Slumber in New York for five weeks. Yes. Live show. It's been a lot of time working on. And we could sell 150 seats a night over 25 performances, which doing quick math... <laughs> on, a, on a phone. On my iPhone is three and a half thousand seats, basically. So three and a half thousand people are the maximum amount of people who could have seen it over a five-week period. Within 24 hours, the Adam Kukler virtual reality video already has seven and a half thousand views. That's double what you can get 
with live. And what that means is that double the amount of people got to see Adam's unbelievable artistry and technique and tricks and hopefully were moved by the kind of cool ending that that happens. And that's what we care about. We care about lots of people being able to enjoy circus. And if you care about that too, please go check out our Kickstarter. It's a link in the description. really would make the difference. As of uh, recording this, we are 61% of the way there. We need your help to make it happen. If we don't get 100% of the funding, the project will not happen, and it cannot happen without your help. So there you go. There's our pitch. There's our plea. Please go consider donating and enjoy our episode with Lorenzo Pizzoni. Usually we ask about how people people started in the circus, but you're you're from San Francisco originally, and you were born into the circus. Yeah, my parents... Um, Peggy Snyder and Larry Pizzoni started the Pickle Family Circus in 19... Well, they started the Pickle Family Jugglers in the early 70s and like the 71-ish. And then they started the Pickle Family Circus in 74, was the first season, and then I was born in 76, and by 78 I was performing because everyone else was. So that was that. And how long, so you grew up performing as a kid, how long were you doing the Pickle Family Circus for? I did the Pickles for 12 seasons, and then I wanted to go to high school. Um, And so I went to a private high school in San Francisco, but I kept performing with the Pickles kind of every year of high school. Um, and I was teaching at the circus school in San Francisco and I couldn't get away from it. And I would do like corporate gigs and cause it's just so much fun. And it's kind of like the mafia and you just can't get out <laughs> get of out. that. Yeah. Um, so you recently, well, you've had a stage show about your experience yeah. growing up and you also just recently did this to movie. So mm-hmm. I sort of, uh, I told said this offline, but I sort of wanted to take this time to ask you a few questions that you didn't address in the movie and also spend more time focusing sure. on the, the next piece of your life. Sure. Um, but I was curious because uh, the movie touched on a little bit, but who taught you like your circus skills? Like your dad was part of that for sure. Yeah, I mean the way that the pickles worked was that everyone had to do everything. That was their political statement, right? So it was about working together and being a collective and all this with you know the power of the village. You can do anything was the metaphor of the pickles and everything they did. So the trumpet player was driving the trucks and all this stuff. So as a child, I was learning, you know, juggling from Judy Finelli, even though my parents were both jugglers. I mean, of course, my parents taught me juggling, um, but I don't know that I remember lessons about juggling from my, from my parents. Yeah. Of course, I heard my parents juggling when I was in the womb. I, you know, and then I've watched my sister Gypsy. She would be juggling. So, you know, it was just all around. There was no way I couldn't learn. But I mean, I remember specifically Judy Finelli saying I was trying to figure out how to juggle five balls. And I like, I was sitting in the studio and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And she walks up and she says, Oh, if you just delay the second toss, you'll get it. And she walked away. And I was like, Okay. And I did it, and sure enough, I could juggle five balls. So like that, it was just everywhere. Um, so then, you know, some of the acrobats would teach me this trick or that trick. And one year we had like a Moroccan acrobat, you know, so it's all that circular tumbling that they're yeah. famous for in Morocco. And all of a sudden I was learning round up, backhand swing, back tuck with a, you know, quarter twist and right back into it, you know. So it was just like anyone, and that was the amazing thing about pickles, honestly, is that everyone was generous. That's what I just still can't get over. It's like all these 20-somethings would take the time with a child who was obviously very precocious and took it seriously. (laughs) 
that they must have just got a kick out of it and thought, oh, let's do, oh, sure, I'll teach him. Because why not? Did you enjoy the process of practicing? Was there a point at which in high school you were sort of like, I'm over trying to learn this? Or were you oh, always... no. I love practicing. I mean, I I will, I, I'm, Cecil McKinnon, she's a director and performer and juggler. And, she's uh, in Flora now, right? Yeah, yeah, she's been in Flora for years directing and, and being kind of their main clown. Uh, she says if you don't like practicing, you're not a circuit performer because that's it. It's yeah. not really about performing, honestly. Right. And I mean, you're always that, working on something new. Yeah. I mean, and also that's like, that's like, that's where the art is. Right. It's like, if you can get it up to practice again, then you're a circuit performer. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, I just, I'm going to go like, look on my iPhone, then nah, not so much, you know? And it's, it's, right. uh, yeah. So I love practicing. I, I mean, I, there's nothing better, frankly, than being in a studio and just like hours, just hours of just doing the same thing over and over. Because you get like, I don't know, it's like a puzzle. You know, you're learning a one-arm handstand. It's like, oh, I understand now. Like, that's how the shoulder has to feel. And then that's where the elbow goes. And, oh, if I go that, I can like get it back if I'm falling that far. And like, it's all that little stuff. Like, once you get like the macro problems under wraps you know can i hold myself up in one arm okay now i can do that but then it like gets into that fine stuff and that to me is so fun and also that's the first stuff to go <laughs> when yeah. you stop practicing <laughs> did your high school friends think it was cool what you were doing or were they like ah oh, lorenzo's a weirdo well no i mean that's the i was very lucky because san francisco at that time was a very insular small town you know this was kind of before silicon valley blew up. I mean, there was Apple and all that stuff, but it wasn't like today. And so all the kids in my high school grew up going to the pickles. So uh, I was kind of a cool kid or they felt like they knew me and it wasn't a weird thing. Yeah. And also I went to a high school where everyone had their thing. Yeah. Okay. Who's I grew up in the school that Gypsy went to and Jordan went to. No, no, that's urban high school. I went to Lick Wilmerding High School. Oh, what a name! What a name! I was like, really? <laughs> You're gonna go for that for high school? Okay. But I mean, so James Lick, he founded like most of San Francisco, and then this guy Jealous Wilmerding. I don't know. He pissed <laughs> off his parents, and they named him Jealous Wilmerding. He uh, created a technical arts school in the late 1800s. And so this school kind of came, merged James Lick and this Jealous Wilmerding Technical High School and the Lux School for Girls and became this school in the early 1900s. And it's, it was an amazing place because it was, it's like applied knowledge, the mm -hmm. whole thing. So it was great for me because not only was I learning slang, because I didn't, I really didn't know how to speak to my peers when I went to high school. Right. Because I missed around, it. Like, adults and... I was around adults and speaking circus. Right. Like no connection <laughs> to my peer group at all. Like I missed hip hop, missed video games, missed them. Like I, I your still can't. Your channel is just so insane to me. After even watching this, your your documentary, I still am like I saw all the photos and videos and your right. story, and I'm still like, it just seems like just so crazy to me in your childhood. Well, it was a different time yeah i mean it really was a different time and there's sure. just no way to get around it right. I, like i i don't you know i look at the footage 
and I think about it now, and I'm like, that you adults were crazy. <laughs> Just leaving crazy. I yeah. love the fact that you what were you two or something? Were you your first time in the ring? Yeah, I was and two. you just took your stuff and went out on your own. Yeah. And the fact that no adult was like, oh my god, he's going out on stage. What right. is he doing? Right. But instead everyone's like, oh what's going on? Oh Lorenzo's yeah. in the ring. Yeah. I mean that was that generosity I was talking about earlier. Like right. so, just letting you Yeah. Cause now I can imagine. A kid walks out into the ring at Cirque du Soleil. Forget about it. Never. Grab the kid. Yeah, grab the kid. You know, I don't see. You know, it would be, it would, be, uh, it would just never, never happen. happen. Of course, it would bring the house down. It would. And if there was some, you know, showmen around, they'd be like, no, just just let the kid go. Just let just the kid go. But, and will you explain how you, you were named Lorenzo? Yeah, I mean, so... Well, okay, so the story is my father took the name uh, Lorenzo as a performer uh, for his clown character, Lorenzo Pickle. That was his his clown character. And he was kind of originally very like an immigrant, machismo, always thinking he was right kind of guy. Uh, and then when I was born, my father turned to my mother and said, so it's Lorenzo or Geppetto, you choose. <laughs> And given that choice, bless my mother, she said, well, it's Lorenzo. Um, but, the, but the long story is that my great-great-grandfather was named Lorenzo. And he came over. And then he had a son who was a vaudeville performer, a comedian, and married a dancer and his vaudeville show and la, la, la. And then, uh, and then he has a son. And then my father's born. And... Uh, my grandfather wanted to name my father Lorenzo mm. in, to honor his grandfather. And my great-grandfather said, no, we're in America now. It's Lawrence. So uh, my father's name is Larry. Yeah. Which he was never so into. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a great name. I don't understand yeah. what my father's problem is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so basically he, my father named me after the clown. Um, is how he could kind of get around it. But I, but there is that lineage back to, like, my people, mm -hmm. you know. After high school, did you go to college, or did you pursue, pursue performing first? Uh, no. So after high school, it was a college preparatory school, and everyone else was going to college. So I thought, well, I should probably go to college. Um, and I thought I was going to be a circus performer for the rest of my life. So I applied... Um, to the places where I thought I could get in. Because uh, my test scores weren't great. I, I mean, again, I was still like, uh, I don't understand a school thing. Like, how do you write an essay? You know? Um, and the teachers were great. They were very patient. So bless them. But uh, so I got into Vassar. And I went to Vassar. You know when Vokey was there? Yeah. So Vokey was there. Um, and he took a class from my father <laughs> on clowning. And after that, it was like, I'm getting out of college. I'm going to go to ringling school. So we were there. He had studied with my father, and then he left and went down to Florida. And, uh, and so we were just like kind of ships passing in the night. But we knew each other at Vassar. Yeah, well, I was at Vassar. We knew you each other. Did you say theater No. God, no. I tried to create a major of history of popular entertainment in America. That of sounds like a great... Well, there was a there, there was a course at Brown, which is the other place I wanted to go, but they wouldn't give me enough money. Oh. That ha that was a course, and I was like, oh, that's fantastic! I want to do that. I did I didn't want to perform. 
I didn't, because again, I thought I was going to be a search warrant for life. So why would I do that in college? Because you already have the skills. Well, I had the skills and I was always like, this is my vacation. <laughs> right. So I don't want to <laughs> perform now. I love that now. school is your vacation of like not performing. This is like when I don't get to perform, this is nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Because also every vacation I was going to perform. Right. So like, because of Vassar ain't cheap. So I, I f- like one summer, and I worked the system. One summer, um, I f- like my last final happened. I basically put my pencil down and got on the Metro North and got to JFK and flew to Tokyo. And I just did a circus in Tokyo for whatever it was, three months, got on a plane, flew back to JFK, went to class, you know, because I did as many shows as I possibly could do. What kind of things were you being booked for as a circuit performer after? after I, I was doing a lot of um, like what was then called, you know, principal personage, you know, I was doing this ringmastering hosting thing where because I could do because of the pickles I could do a lot of whatever was in the show mm-hmm. so if like in Japan the wire walker needed to get up onto the wire so instead of bringing out a ladder or her climbing up the rig we could just do a hand to foot and I could just put her on the wire you know and I didn't she was Russian she didn't speak a word of English but it was like we, we both know how to do this right? You know, 30 seconds later, she's on the wire. You know, so there's a lot of... So that was the thing that I kept getting hired to do. Was it weird performing for other companies besides Pickle, like that process of being taken out of that world and into sort of the other kinds of Um, circuses? Not... No, not particularly, because also circus was changing. Circus was becoming more like the Pickles, you know? Mm. So it didn't feel... Like, it would have been weirder to, like, go into Ringling... Like that would have been like, uh, what? You know, I, I, I'd never, and to this day, I've never done a show where I do my five minutes. Never. And that sounds horrible. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I like, what, that would be so boring. People love it. You know, it's great. Don't you wish you could just show up, warm up, I clap do. your hands, I know. Your neck, and then just get off stage <laughs> I, of and I, go home? I, I, I do. I really do. But then I also know that I would, I would like, to my core, I would be bored. And I don't want to do that. Like, if I'm going to bust my ass, I want to at least have a good time. <laughs> How did you get connected with um, Cirque du Soleil and Mystere? And did that happen right after school was over? Yeah, I mean, I had known... Cirque du Soleil and everybody kind of involved since 87 when they first came. Uh, there were a lot of pickles in that show, the first oh, version the of Ron Vante. No, they, but when they came to the LA uh, theater festival. Is that the one? That, yeah. In oh, Little okay. Tokyo. So that was like right. the, that was like the famed, we only have enough gas right. to get there. We don't our, have enough gas. To get back. Our professor was Tom Schumacher. Oh yeah. Columbia. Yeah. And so he's now, I'll call him our mentor because he, like, loves circus. Yes. And so he did, oh, let's talk about, I brought Cirque du Soleil over here for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to love this guy for many reasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So we hear that story from a lot of (laughs) different... Right. So so there was a lot of people in that show that were were ex-pickles. Oh, that's so funny. And, um, or then became pickles. I can't remember. I'm getting old. Um, but, but the pickles pickle and, ended in, well, I left in 18. Well, I don't know. I left it. the final time that I performed in the ring for pickles was 94. Mm-hmm. And I think they've 
like they filed for bankruptcy in 96 and then kind of resurrected for a little while. I don't, once I left, I was like, I don't understand. Uh, good luck. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And that feels horrible, but. But you were so little. You did your whole life. With you you gave enough to it. It's yeah, I think so. I think so. But I but know. so Cirque du Soleil. Um, so I knew them, um, and they knew me. And there was like at one point I was gonna. They wanted me to join, but I think I was fourteen, and I just got into high school. And they were like, you know, I went and I did some teeterboard in the ring there, and they're like, great. You know, this was during Nouvelle X, so I was there and that for that teeterboard act and um but then it, it just it wasn't a good thing it would have been giving up high school uh and my parents were really like my mom certainly was i don't know about this I, yeah sure you can go you can do it but think about it so i didn't do that and then after college um i my sister voki and i went to uh character audition here in New York at the Chelsea Piers. <laughs> and actually, uh, David Shiner was running the audition. And the night before, Gypsy and I were staying at a good family friend's in the village. And she, uh, and she always, she had a bunch of, she was a fan of circus and was like on the board of the Big Apple and all, all, all this stuff. And she said, hey, I hope you don't mind. We're going to have dinner tonight. Great. Yeah, no, of course, Mary, whatever you want. And she said, oh, I, you know, it's with David Shiner and Renee Bazinet. So, and, I, and Gypsy and I were like, oh, no, we're auditioning for David tomorrow. You can't. She's like, well, they're already invited. <laughs> so they come and David Shiner is sitting next to me uh, and and uh, my sister's on the other side of him I think and the whole night he's just like pour, uh, filling our cups with wine being like <laughs> you're gonna need this because it's not gonna go well tomorrow you know <laughs> you know just trying to get us drunk and he was great and, it, and you know obviously Voki and my sister and I made it you know to the end it was like an all day thing and and actually, my sister was great. Basically, she's just coaching me through the audition the entire day. How much older is Gypsy than you? Eight? She's six and a half years older. Six. And just yeah. for people who are who are listening, uh, Voki is... Uh, Voki... Calfayan. Calfayan, who is um, a amazing clown who originated the role of gazillionaire in Absinthe, which is currently playing in Vegas. And Gypsy is Gypsy Snyder, who we interviewed on this yes. podcast. Yes. Was it Mary Jane Brock they were saying no, Mary Rower. Oh, okay. Because we yeah. know she passed recently, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but I had the chance to meet her twice, actually, um, uh, and visit her apartment. That's on uh, McDougal. Yeah. yeah. Um, amazing yeah, place. That was, that was an amazing experience. Uh, yeah. So then you, so presumably this has leads to you. Oh yeah. So yeah. So basically, uh, that happens, and you get your little letter. You're from, in the database. Yeah, you're in the database. Uh, and this was kind of early on in the database, you know, I think the database was actually like on a Rolodex at that point still. And then, um, I go back to San Francisco and I'm there for a couple months and I get a call from a guy that I'd known since I was 11, this guy, Serge Wara. And he says, Hey, we have this part, uh, Mister, would you want to do it? How old are you at this point? 19. <laughs> And uh, I go to Vegas, and at that that point, Misser is the only show. Right. The that's only, our first Vegas show. That's the first Vegas show. I guess they had Nouvelle X was there, that that kind of became, once they built the theater at Treasure Island, it became Misser. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so the pink guy, who's like the ringmaster, um, I go see the show and the actor playing the pink guy who originated the role, it was like his first job at a acting school, mm-hmm. not a circus performer. And I was like, oh, what? I don't, I don't, what? I'm not gonna, I don't, he doesn't do anything. I'm not gonna do this. And I go backstage because there are a lot of people in the show that I know. And one of them is this guy, Wayne Ronak, who played Benny Legrand, mm-hmm. who I had known since I was a kid, since 1987. And he's my father's contemporary and he's a fantastic clown. I mean, just fearless. I think he makes David Shiner look like Bill Irwin, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense mm-hmm. as a reference. Because he has no fear. And he also doesn't do any audience management like Shiner does. So if, if you're on stage, but I'm, yeah, it's amazing, right? <laughs> and so the people on stage with Shiner feel taken care of. Right. People on stage with Wayne don't know what's going on <laughs> and they're terrified. Um, and I just, and he said, you got to come do this. We'll have fun. And I'll, you know, I, he was saying, you know, you'll be a straight man and we'll come up with stuff and it'll be great. Uh, if he said that, if he hadn't said that to me, I would have never done it. But because he said it, I was like, oh God, I got to do it. Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then so in December of the, of 97, I was in Montreal and they had one rehearsal for me <laughs> on the stage. Uh, I, I, they just kind of gave me a rehearsal room at their headquarters in Montreal, but with, with tapes, with VHS. Um, just like learn it, you're learning yeah. it yourself. And it was fine because when I started, it was 10 minutes on stage total. I was like, well, I got that. Mm-hmm. No problem. I can figure that out. <laughs> I can VHS. I can VHS that. And then, um, and then slowly I was like, you know, I do teeter board. So I started doing teeter board. I was like, I do Chinese pole. Started doing Chinese pole. You know, I do this stuff with this, you know, karate bow. Started doing that stuff. I can do a fall. So I started falling off into one of the pits. I can, you know, like slowly but surely. And so by the time I left, I was on stage for 55 minutes. <laughs> and then, and so, and then that's, and then, and I think what happened was, you know, I, I talked with Serge about it. I was like, this is, whether Franco realizes it or not, Franco Dragon, whether he created a very traditional circus. You know, and it's there's a ringmaster who's trying to have a show mm-hmm. and the clown towards the authority figure. You know, that's all it is. And you have like snails and you know, all this stuff and lights and taiko drummer. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you just have a circus. It's just a circus. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, you know, you have to give the pink guy the authority and he has to be present and you have to have him be there in center ring kind of introducing the show you know as it were and he to his credit he was like okay go and so just slowly i just and that's the thing about rehearsing that i love it's like you just keep polishing the stone it's like you keep proposing ideas like i just and it's not that i want to be on stage all the time but it just felt like to have this work this character needs to be there otherwise it, it kind of just becomes act, 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 act. And the audience has no one to kind of, oh, there's that guy again. Oh, okay. Where's the clown? The clown's going to come. Or, you know, whatever they need that. Go on that journey with you. Yeah. And so, and then and then because of the acrobatic stuff and the juggling and all of that, um, 
it became really like it was fun that that pink guy could do that stuff or or could act like he couldn't and then all of a sudden he could and that was a lot of the gag right and then since then it's every pink guy has had those skills because i think they realized oh yeah this that's is such the, now a, that's the track yeah right. and that's just such a no-brainer you know it's not like i did anything innovative i was just like <laughs> uh, guys that's what you made you just didn't do it yeah right and then uh how long have you been in vegas for about two years and during this uh time were you sort of starting to shift your thoughts into wanting to do traditional acting more Tradition, traditional Eric well no no I mean I, absolutely traditional um, legitimate employment? yeah legitimate or yeah. Uh, whatever I know I always feel sort of like when there's straight plays right like, as opposed to yeah like as opposed yeah. to what um, yeah I was also at that point I had done circus for 20 years you know I had turned 21 right the age of 21 <laughs> uh, and and contract negotiations were coming up and I really wanted to be on a tour. I thought, you know, I want to do a North American tour for Cirque du Soleil. Mm. That'd be fun. Be in a tented show, you know, two years. That'd be fun. I'd like to do that. And they, you know, they teased me for a while. And then I ultimately said, no, we want to keep you at Mystere. We like what you're doing. We should stay at Mystere. And I was like, well, I don't know about that. You know, and I'll sign on for another six months and we'll talk about it. And right after I signed that, my friend who I, well, I didn't actually know her very well, but also like my left shoulder was hurting, my right knee was hurting and yeah. my... Your body was telling you you need a, you need a break. Yeah. And, and I was also realizing this is just not fun anymore, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, uh, so my friend and my girlfriend at the time lived here in New York and I was spending a lot of time on an airplane. <laughs> um, so, um, my, f uh, this woman that I kn knew in college was directing a production of Romeo and Juliet here on the Lower East Side. Were you Romeo? No, no. She, her concept was, uh, she basically cut the play down so there are basically no adults. So it's kids just killing each other, except for Lady Capulet. Lady Capulet remained, and and the uh, friar. Everyone else, kids. And But she wanted fortune personified. So she wanted a ringmaster. who And so this guy would just be there. And so, oh, fortune's fool would be to fortune personified. But he would switch Montague to Capulet, Montague to Capulet, and just be around. I had never done Shakespeare. I had never done a straight play. Um, and she was going to pay me a Metro card. And I was like, okay. Right. So just before pausing there, I mean, the shift of going from circus performer rate and culture about negotiations oh. to the, the, the actor actor rate and oh, actor man. culture about negotiations could not be I didn't, further I didn't apart. know how good I had it. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, like I had a lawyer for all my circus stuff. And, and now it was like, there's no negotiating. No. There's nothing to negotiate. Either you want to do it or not. Yeah. And so... With acting. With acting. Yeah. Yes. At that point. And... But I kind of loved it. I, I loved that kind of just clarity. Mm -hmm. There's no... It's like you either do it or you don't. Yeah, that's it. It's you know. fine. And plus it's about... Care. It was totally about the love of it. It was a very... Yeah. A, a group of friends getting together. Let's see if this works. And it did. It got a great review in the New York Times. And then... The, and once that happened, I was like, oh, well, I guess... I guess I'm acting. 
I mean, and I was horrible. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was horrible. <laughs> uh, but everyone was very supportive and and patient. And um, and then that, I went from like classical theater gig to classical. So like the first two years, I think I did Romeo and Juliet, As You Like It, Troilus and Cressida, The Tempest. Um, there was some, oh, and then I did Romeo and Juliet and I played Romeo. Um, you know, the first time so. I saw you was at at the public theater. Mark Mitten snuck me in because he knew one of the um, Mark Mitten stagehands, <laughs> or he knew somebody who was working there. Yeah, because um, we waited in line to come see it, and we just like got in line too late. At, in the park. In the park. Oh. And I don't remember what the play was, but you were the main character in it. It was. Well, it was either Much Ado. It, Wait, who else was in it? Oh. No, 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 I can tell you. How old are you? Uh, what was the other one? It was a less well-known... Measure. It was, it was definitely pro- measure, for measure, measure for Measure. I played the Duke. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mark introduced us afterwards, and you were you are so nice. You spent so much time talking to me. I was like 18, um, maybe 19. I don't know. It was a couple of years ago when you did it. Um, yeah. But uh, my first experience with you was like, oh, yeah, this is just a classic Shakespearean right. actor. That's what, yeah. that's what this dude does. That, yeah. Oh, and he has some circus experience. Yeah. I mean, that was the... I mean, that's totally the... I didn't... Until humor abuse... I really kept all the circus stuff under wraps. Like I didn't want to be a circus performer who acted. I just wanted to be an actor. And so really like, and it was always funny. It was like the, the directors would find out I have these skills and they'd be like, can you just do a backflip? And I'd be like, why, why would this guy know how to do a backflip? That doesn't make any sense. You know, and I'd do it once or twice and I'd be like, this is just feels terrible. And the one person, so Erica Schmidt, who yeah. directed that Romeo and Juliet, and then she did that As You Like It. Did you do your... And then she did ball? Humor Abuse. Yeah. But the As You Like It that she cut, I mean, she's brilliant. So she cut As You Like It down to six people and we played all the parts. And th- we did this at the public downtown on Astor. And, uh, um, but she had me act one scene one is Oliver and uh his brother uh sorry Orlando uh they get into a fight and so I'm playing Oliver and Orlando oh you played both so I had to fight myself so we did so it was basically the use of hat tricks and acrobatics to switch between characters and and everyone in the play in that production had to do something crazy physical but it was, she was smart in using those skills that I had to set the tone so that the audience knew, oh, okay, we're just going to watch these six actors get into a pickle mm-hmm. and see how they get out of it for the next 90 minutes, you know? And, and that was really the first time that people were like, oh, you do that stuff. Now I understand. So the know? second time I saw you speaking of that kind of stuff was at, um, MTC doing that play with Jennifer Westfeld mm. um, and uh, mm-hmm. there was another person who What's was that well known, the Explorers um, Club. The Explorers Club. Club. Yeah. Like Barry Grove was also our. Oh professor. yeah. He would like he would talk about you all the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, MTC is I, I, I the, I've done now five plays there, six plays there, and I, I they've been nothing but generous. I mean, I also yeah. like the first play I went in. I think I went in and I had 10 days of rehearsal because they had let an actor go because it wasn't working out for whatever I reason. I didn't learn it. Really I had to learn it in 10 days while I was doing As You Like It downtown, actually. So I'd go from rehearsal to performance. And sometimes like on matinee days, I'd go in between to like, it was madness. But it was the best. And that was my introduction to MTC. 
and uh and barry and lynn and like mm-hmm. everybody there it, it's i mean it's kind of a home mm-hmm. in new york and that's what everyone wants so Explorers Club for a moment, oh yes that's, that's the thing i said to you yeah was from one of my favorite plays i've ever seen i think yeah for real like it's a real shame to me that that play hasn't like been remounted somewhere or just that there isn't there isn't more of it available to see because when i saw it, it was like oh my god not only is it like super funny and like rides this like really interesting line of sort of believable and sort of candy and sort of not and very right. like comedy and right. serious, but also like the physical aspects of it. And yeah. um, I'm gonna do a terrible job describing it, but basically at one point in the show, um, there's a whole the, the bar across the set, and you guys are sliding drinks off of the bar, yeah. and your character is sort of in the position of making sure that. Uh, they drinks don't fall off of the bar, and you yes. do. You did this amazing, like sort of like slide table esque <laughs> yeah. version, yeah. dive roll, catching the drink yeah. before it hit the yeah. ground. Yeah, kind of moment. Can totally. you talk about how that that piece was created? Well, so Nell Benjamin uh, wrote the Explorers Club, um, and she is a very smart person. Um, uh, you know, she went to Harvard, and she's she's. A, wicked smart and but so she wrote this thing she basically wrote that uh, luigi who is uh were all the scientists in this club that's made up of idiots <laughs> luigi is from uh is quote unquote a native and he's all in blue and we make him our barkeep to protect him from the queen this is in england elizabethan england he doesn't know anything about bartending we've just showed him what to do which is basically fill this glass with liquid and then push it off the bar. That's all he knows. So she, she Nell Benjamin writes this. Has no idea how we're going to do this. Uh, and so the first day of rehearsal, Carson Elrod, who played Luigi, who I've known for years, uh, it was kind of the first day of rehearsal. And I said to the director, Mark Bruni, I said, you know, we should probably figure this out. It's the end of the play. There's a, like four or five moments throughout the play. And Carson was like, yes, let's figure this out, please. Cause this is basically my character. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not totally true, but he said it, you know, it was some seriousness. So, um, <clears throat> again, practice every day for like 15 minutes. Uh, certainly in the beginning of rehearsal, we just started experimenting. At one point we tried to kind of shim the bar up, you know, did it need lift, mm-hmm. you know, so we'd get a little, air you know how do we keep the liquid in the glasses you know are all the glasses you know do we cover the glasses now oh, that looks fake do we like how do we you know and so every day people anyone would have an idea we just started trying it but it was this thing of carson and he went to nyu grad school and he learned from hubby burgess in the circus class hubby. yeah hubby and and carson's also um he loves practicing and he's, uh, and he's very precise. And if he hadn't been, I couldn't have caught those glasses. There's no way. Cause it was, it's juggling. Yeah. It's just juggling. It's and, juggling and it's for sure clowning. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, so once, so basically we figured, okay, so this is how far we, so the shimming didn't work. Uh, whatever, you know, what did we put on? How, how much do we polish the top? Worley, we're almost here last time. Donnell Worley did the set for that. Yes. Right? The yeah. set was also, the bar. Yeah, the set was, was incredible. Amazing. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And basically we, 
uh, we, we'd seen the photos, you know, in rehearsal and we had some mock-up of things, but then when we got into the theater and saw the set, yeah. basically, and also that cast was just filled with laugh horrors. So we just all started like, what can we do to the set? Yeah. What can we get away with? You know, how does... Would you describe the set real briefly? So the, the set is the Explorers Club. And so it was, um, you know, it had these huge, it, uh, centrally, it was the, with the bar, with, you know, classic with all the bottles upstage of the bar. And it was a long, like 13 foot long bar with like a spiral staircase behind it going up to the second level. Yeah. But it had these huge elephant tusks that would kind of frame the bar. And then there was a stuffed uh, brown bear on its hind quarters next to the stairs. And it was just like this plush, like all these carpets everywhere. And all. And there were all these portraits of all th these explorers that had died on the walls. And so if you really went up and looked at all the portraits, it was all of them about to die. She's such a genius, that designer. She like did she this thing where genius. she just like found objects. She also did Peter the Starcatcher. Yeah. People saw that. Yeah. But I remember we, cause we talked to her about doing a show with us and she's incredible. And then also just like looking at all the detail of all her sets is just like, every, how do you think yeah, about all these yeah, things? Every day. I, cause I, you know, I spent a lot of time on that set and I would find something new and I would start laughing. You know, just be like, oh my god, this, that's, so that's amazing. Do you that, feel like at the end of the show you get something different out of doing a play than you do out of a circus show? Like, just the way it makes you feel or the the experience of doing it? Um, are they very similar in the way you experience it? For me now, they're similar. You know? Now, I think at first, when I first started doing plays, it was a totally new, different experience. But I think as I've relaxed and have done a lot of plays now... Now, it's also like I have space in my head to kind of, you know, I always, for my own benefit now, I always put in a little circusy something somewhere, <laughs> you know, and either you see it or you don't. And it's not really for the audience. It's just for me. Yeah. Um, so f like that's similar because I'll just kind of keep working that trick, you know, in for myself. Um, but it's um, also the kind of circus I was doing was a lot of acting. Yeah. So... You know. Is the approach to learning tricks similar to your approach to developing character or learning lines? Like, do those things have overlap in, in how the processes are, or are they totally different? I think they're pretty different. Um, I mean, I, I think discipline is similar. You know, the, the willingness to put in the work is similar. But whereas circus is goal-oriented, uh, acting can't be. The goal can't be to, you know, make people cry. <laughs> you know, that doesn't ever work. You know, it's, that's an idea of something. So that, so there's a slightly different, I mean, I wonder if there's a way to practice circus in a more organic fashion. I don't know what that even means, but yeah. that, if there was a way to do that, so from kind of the feeling of a trick, like what the trick means to you, yeah. that would it's make it. It's a weird athleticism part of circus. That, yeah. yeah. And so that is a, that is a different thing. Um, and, and I originally, when I started acting, I was approaching it like a circus performer. I was like, oh, well, I know the words. Isn't that it? No, that's not it. <laughs> you know, but I thought it was. I thought, I don't need like an emotional life. What are you talking about? <laughs> what is that? I don't even know what that means. 
you know, and so, but as I've gone through and worked with amazing actors and gotten to watch them in their whole process, and sure, there's like technical things that you can do. And I've learned that from like the more senior actors. Like if you want to laugh on this line, you do it like this <laughs> and you can manipulate an audience. And I, that I know from clowning. Like I know those little like manipulations, but then you, if you need to have kind of more weight and more, you know, be more dropped in, that's a whole other kind of skill set that you need to cultivate. Among your uh, endless skill set, uh, writing is also included in that. Um, yeah. At least for your at least for your one minute show in documentary. Yeah, yeah. But what where did the idea of doing humor reviews come from? Like who inspired you, or why why did you want to do it? Um, the truth is, I needed a job. I was here in New York. I just moved back from LA. Um, it was like winter. I was alone you know, smoking cigarettes. Um, and, uh, I needed a job and I had done a version of humor abuse with Jonah Hoyle, whose dad is Jeff Hoyle, who played Mr. Sniff, who was my dad's clown partner with Bill Irwin. And we had done, Jonah and I had done a version, uh, in college one night where we basically said our dads were clowns. Now, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And then we just did a variety show, basically. Um, and uh, there were a couple anecdotes, maybe, but not really anything. Anyway, so I tried to, I called him up when I needed the job, when I needed a job. I called him up and I said, hey, Jonah, let's, let's do humor abuse again. Yeah, it did really well in college. Let's do humor abuse again. And he was living in Alaska. <laughs> and he was going to grad school for creative writing. And he had developed severe stage fright, mm. which is a shame because he was a brilliant performer and, and has a brilliant mind. I mean, he's so funny. Um, and so he was, I was the straight man and he was the funny one. And he said, you know, you should just do a solo show. Just do a solo show. And I thought, oh, that's just a terrible idea. <laughs> Why would I do that? That sounds awful. Um, because... Honestly, who wants to see a show with just the straight man? It's not a good thing. But I needed a job. So I tried to take that two-person version and make it into one, and how would that work? And I, so I kind of cobbled together a script or the beginnings of an idea of a script, and um, I sent it to Erica um, because at that point we had done a bunch of plays together. The director you were working with. Yeah. Um, and she had become much more established at that point. And so I sent her the, uh, scripts as such as it was. And I said, here, you know, is this anything like, what is this? I don't even, I, no one wants to see it, but just look at it. Maybe we can work on it just for fun. Just so I have something to do as opposed to just sitting here waiting for the phone to ring. And, uh, so, uh, she looked at it and said, yeah, let's work on this. Let's, let's just see what this is. And she was teaching, directing at the National Theatre Institute in New London. And, um, and they gave us space. And they said, you have three days. We'll house you, feed you. Um, and at the end, do a presentation for the class. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I, got, well. I got, what else am I doing? <laughs> so I go up to New London and I, I bring a printer my computer and just sitting there typing these long stories about 
um, growing up. And, and, and to Erica's credit, she took the script and she said, okay, yeah, there are these routines and there's this stuff and all that, but really it's just a story about you trying to figure out who your father is. Like, that's it. So we need to fill in some st- gaps. So I went ahead and started trying to fill in those gaps. And then she would edit what I was writing down to like a line. You know, she's like Hemingway and I was, I don't know what I was writing. Dickens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so so the two of us worked very well together. And at the end of three days, I taped out the script on the floor because I hadn't had time to memorize. And, and uh, um, the class of 20 people came in to see what we were working on. And I did a version and, and from that one presentation, Eric and I both knew she was like, oh, this is something. And I thought, oh man, crap. This <laughs> now is, I have to do it. Now I have to, to do, do it. <laughs> so, you know, NTI had its back a couple months later because I had a job and Eric had a job. And, and then we did one night at Bard College that summer again. And then I did a presentation for in Vokey's little tent down on the pier the year that he had his own little the gazillionaire had his own little tent with Spiegel World with Spiegel World yeah and they gave me one night and I was it was during tech of Equus so oh right you were in I was in Equus oh I wanted to see that so badly but I was like what year was that 2008 2009 yeah so I just I wasn't out of college yet and I came with my mom and I was like mom I want to see Equus and she was like Oh, we should see that. And then yeah. I think we ended up seeing something else. And I was like, oh, I'm still to say so mad. Why did you see something else? I don't know, because my mom was like a musical girl. Oh. I actually only see musicals. Uh, yeah, no, Equus is the opposite of a musical. But even though, yeah, but she was like a real Daniel Radcliffe fan. So I was like, I don't know well, why she, we didn't see it. So yeah, we missed that. Out. But then we missed... saw How to Succeed. And when he pops out of the orchestra, my mom screamed like every other 13-year-old in the theater. I was like, That's hilarious. Yeah, but so we missed Equus. And I'm still, still really bitter. About Dan, it. Dan was very good. Dan was very, very I good. See, like the puppet and everything, like the horse and. Yeah, that, that was me. Oh, you were the puppet. I was, I was the one particular horse. So I literally wanted to see you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty amazing, and then me carrying Dan. Oh my god! Like oh, from, I'm because so, I was months. in London too, right? <laughs> or did it come from London? He did it in London with Richard Griffiths, bless his soul, mm-hmm. and then they brought that production here, here but they got kind of everyone else was new except for dan and okay. richard yeah what is it sorry i'm really bouncing around but yeah. i just have so many big picture questions for you yeah. but i also want to talk about your, your career but what is it there must be some point where you're like okay i've done broadway i've done off broadway i've done Cirque du soleil i've done like yeah. such a wide variety of kinds of things and yeah. the tops of a lot of variety of things was there a point, maybe even recently, where you were sort of like, what's next? Like, what is the thing that I, I want to keep doing? Or, like, do you ever... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you decide to go into the arts, that's the contract you sign. <laughs> like, that never-ending search for, what am I doing? You know, or what do I want to do? Right? Yeah. You know, I just did... Uh, well, sorry, just jump in. Yeah. Many people go, I want to do Broadway, and then they do... Broadway, that's yeah. the goal, and they stay in that, and you know they would avoid yeah. taking other things in order to do that, and the exact same is with for sure circus and yeah. dance, and mainly arts. Like I'm committing to, you know, dance. That's what I'm committing to, not the arts. I'm committing to dance. I'm yeah. committing to yeah. doing plays. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. while your career has, has sort of wandered by <laughs> your interests. It has no aim whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, listen, I, I would love to just do Broadway plays. Um, there aren't enough Broadway plays. No. Nope. But I stay open. Yeah. And, 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 and also the economics of Broadway, as you know, you need those marquee names. Particularly for a play. For Particularly for a play. And given my type... Those marquee names are the in the roles that mm. I would probably be cast in, yeah. so it gets tricky, you know, um, in terms of that stuff. But also, I, I, I just want to work, you know. I just like that's I'm a workhorse. Like that's what I do. You, you right now you're promoting your documentary, which is on on tour. Yeah, I'm promoting the documentary. Uh, and that came from because we skipped a little bit. Oh out yeah. Of- humor movies but you were doing that and the yeah. idea for the documentary came from you yeah so i did humor abuse anyway so mtc saw the show at the spiegel world tent they didn't have a show in their small space here in new york for the end of that season lynn asked me to come do a presentation of the show for her for her <laughs> and i was like come on lynn and she was like i gotta see it and, and who, I was like, who came ah. to see your show at the time? Was it the literary manager? Or? Yeah, I, it was a bunch of people okay. actually. Because I was Annie, was it? I don't know. She's like blonde, cute, like blonde, blonde. I don't know. This oh, so this was, was two thousand eight. Yeah, she might. Okay, I'm gonna ask her. So we can cut that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't remember. Okay, so um, so uh, so yeah, so uh, anyway, MTC produces Humor Abuse to in two thousand nine. Um, and then it just kind of, it got very good reviews and all this stuff happened, which was crazy. Uh, and I still don't understand what happened. And then I start doing this show all over the country and I'm doing Explorers Club with Jennifer Westfeld. And she kind of knows about my history, but doesn't really know about my history. And then on, she says, wait a minute, you grew up in a circus? And I was like, yeah, and I'm about to go do this show at the Mark Taper Forum in L.A. And it's going to be the last time I'll do it because I'm getting tired. You know, it was a lot. It was Falling a, downstairs multiple times every show. Yeah, I mean, it was. And doing, what's the what's that called? The fall called? The 108 yeah, onto my okay. back. Yeah, the <laughs> thing that broke my father's back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she, Jennifer Westfeld says, we should tape it. We should film it. Like have a nice filmed, you know, version of this. So and and you know Lincoln Center had filmed it in New York, but the show changed. Like once we got out of <laughs> like a thirteen foot ceiling, like I did this fall off a ladder in the show, and they had to change the hanging plot so that my head could go in between. <laughs> The instruments, you know, so it was just like too small of a space. But anyhow, uh, so the idea of the film really came just to like, let's do just let's film the show. And and Jennifer being Jennifer, like she knows everybody. So she can like make a call and all of a sudden you have a full crew, you know, out of nowhere. Like, how did this what is happening? Um, But then she met my dad who came to see Explorers Club. And uh, Jennifer was like smitten first of all because my father can be very charming and uh and then she just said no no no, this is a documentary we have to this is too good Mm -hmm. it's kind of like somewhat searching for sugarman kind of 
thing and got so it it became a bigger the film became a bigger thing so now it's been to a bunch of festivals and we're trying to sell it and i don't know it was incredible like like i well first of all i loved the audience it was like Paul Binder. I love oh, yeah. the Paul Binder moment when the girl was like, "We have circus royalty in the house." But it's like she only knew that Paul, she only knew Paul Binder though, because there was plenty of other. I was like, lots of people there. It was so like I think Happy was there, wasn't he? I was like, yeah, yeah. Paul was like, got a shot on the back. <laughs> I know. And then Mark, man, it was so funny. And then Paul's like waving, just take it out. I was like, this is like the best opening to this film I could have ever I, imagined. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and Paul's <laughs> Paul's amazing. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he was so kind to do the interview. I, I actually didn't think he would. Really? Yeah, I didn't think he would. You know, he learned to juggle from my dad. I, it's so crazy, the the East Coast, West Coast, nonprofit, circus timing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is nuts because, so, you know, my father had a juggling act with Michael Christensen. Mm-hmm. They had the act. And then uh, Michael... How's this work? Didn't Mike, go to Europe, right? Well, Michael goes to Europe, waits for my dad. My dad's fallen in love with my mom. He does the ultimate, I got to go see about a girl. <laughs> Sends a telegram to Michael. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not coming. So then Michael's pissed. And in the UK. I don't know what he's doing, <laughs> like working on a farm or something like that. And so Michael then, uh, you know, telegrams to Paul. Paul. Paul's in New York at that point. Yeah, he had moved back to New York. And so Paul was like driving a cab or I don't know what he was doing. And he he wasn't, you know, they had just, both Michael and Paul had learned to juggle, had just learned to juggle from my dad in the mind. Like, it wasn't like they were jugglers. Is it called a meme group? Yeah, why is it called a meme group? Do you know the answer to this? I don't know the answer to this. It's really interesting. That's the one question I had. Yeah, I grew up calling it the mime troop. Uh Because it's spelled mime. Well, yeah. But then my father calls it meme troop and all the footage that always says meme. meme troop. I don't understand. I think it's a tomato tomato kind of thing. <laughs> I don't I don't I really don't know the and answer. If, to that. By the way, if you want to listen to uh Paul's version of the story that Renzo just told, he does recount <laughs> his version of getting that telegram in like episode seven of the podcast or something. Yeah. So yeah. go back and listen to the archives if you want to hear hear Paul Binder's version. So yeah, so then he goes to Europe and the rest is kind of history, yeah. you know, and they go around and they go to Turkey and they go, right. you know, they do their <laughs> thing and they, they make a version of the act that Michael and my father were doing, which is actually a version of the act that Hovey and Judy Finelli were doing, you know, so like it all yeah. goes back to Hovey and, you know, Carlo Clemente and like, it, it's like a direct lineage, which I think is so amazing. But so, you know, so the pickles in the West Coast and, and, you know, Big Apple wasn't ever trying to be anything other than a European circus, Mm -hmm. which was a new thing, Mm -hmm. obviously. But the pickles was its own weird, I'm going to make circus into a metaphor thing that, you know, uh, it's a crazy, crazy thing. Well, most recently, though, you had a baby. I had a baby. Yeah. You're a dad. I'm a dad. What's it like God. being a dad? Does it change your life completely? Yeah, it does. It totally changes your life. I mean, first of all, you get a lot less sleep. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, and, and honestly, it's you're just witnessing... Like a little mini a, you. Well, yeah, except that he's... He really is his own person, and he's figuring things. Just to witness someone figuring things out for the first time, like how do you explain gravity? 
how do you explain a tree? <laughs> and like what? It's like endless. And 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 you and I realize you know you don't have to explain these things, but um, just to watch him kind of take all that in, and it's it's intense to be in the city for a baby. You yeah, know, a lot happening. A lot happening, and if he wasn't so social, it would be tricky. But luckily for us, he he likes people, and people like him. So it takes us a while to get places. Sometimes <laughs> he's got a lot to say. He's he's, he's pretty cute. Well, he's got Did a you good looking mom. Performing career to your son, if he didn't, I mean, obviously you'll do probably whatever he feels passionate about. But if no. that you would you would be excited about somebody your son going into the style of art you had, or are you sort of like, yeah, it's got its pros and cons, but really, like, there are other things that you can you can do. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that on, uh, on the subway here. You know, I, I'm curious if he will have stage fright and then how will I deal with that? Because I've never had it. I have no concept of what that feels like. I know it's real. I know people really freak out about it. Um, so I guess to answer the question, I, I don't think I'm going to encourage it. I don't I don't really know how... Uh, He'll obviously be around it. He'll be, very He'll be around it. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think we're going to be pretty careful to not force him into it, given <laughs> my experience. Um, but I want him to know it. I want him to kind of understand circus and yeah. from the inside. Um, There's something about circus culture that's almost like a religious culture. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Just you, even if you never performed without being in circus you, and being around it, you you get these different sort of like uh, worldviews and traits that you sort of just take with you to everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, such a good lesson in trust mm -hmm. and then professionalism and um, strength, multiculturalism. Yeah. Also, yeah. So I think we were talking to Gypsy about like you know raising her daughters. Yeah. Um, just like the idea of being strong enough to like hold yourself up onto something and like yeah. trust yourself to do something yeah. um when she said that, i was like oh man like that is an amazing lesson that you don't really get from many other things because there are a lot of group things that you can do together like right. soccer you know you're right. playing towards a goal right right but circus right. is sometimes very either you're trusting your partner to hold you and you have to trust they have to trust you or you're yeah. trusting yourself yeah yeah and yeah, it's like yeah. such a cool thing that i didn't it is ever think about it it's is like a also like if you if if we're doing an act together and we just had a huge fight Right. You walk into the ring, that goes away. Right, you still have to... Like, like instantly. And like uh, how I was raised, it doesn't matter. Like, you right. walk into the ring, there's Even. never a question. Right. Like, all that backstage yeah. drama <laughs> stuff that's always, you know, in movies and things like that. Never would happen. <laughs> ever. You know? So, I mean, those lessons are great, and I don't really know how to... Um, how to replicate it for my kid. Well, I'm sure we'll figure something out. Something will happen. Something will happen. Something happen. We uh, tend to wrap up the podcast asking the same series of questions. Uh, the first being, is there a piece of advice, good or bad, that you got at some point in your life that has stuck with you? Mm, do it again. <laughs> I mean, that's it. My dad would just say, do it again. And it's 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 good and bad, you know? It's... it's um, to me, I feel like you're going to fail more than you succeed in life. It just is how it's going to be. And there's just nothing wrong with it. And you fail, and try it again. Just keep trying again. 
And, and it's hard. You know, that's a hard, I hate failing. It's so disappointing, <laughs> you know, but then I also just think, okay, well, I'll give myself a second to be bummed out, you know, whether it's literally a second or it's like an afternoon and then, okay, let's try it again. So that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten. Uh, that's a great, great piece of advice. And go see the this movie. You'll see the layers to that piece of advice <laughs> and how it's affected his life. Um, yeah, I can't recommend your movie <laughs> enough. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you. We talked about, I don't know, for like two days after seeing it. Thanks. Yeah. It's really. It's, 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 yeah. It's a window into um, an amazing group of people. Yeah. Um, so for somebody who is an aspiring circus performer or is recently getting into discovering this passion, yeah. is there a, and we'll include theater in this as well, is there a show or a play uh, or a book that you would just recommend and you feel has, you know, is something that's been seminal to like your, your mm. view of the arts or circus or theater? Right. Um, you know, I, uh, I think there's this guy, Stephen Hoggett, mm-hmm. right, well, d- devising work that uh, Frantic Assembly, his company, their company that he helped create, they have that, that book about devising work that I've just kind of within the past couple of years become familiar with. And I think there's a lot of things in that book that are great for every performer. It doesn't matter if you're a circus performer or actor or whatever. I almost said straight actor. <laughs> um, and I think that there's something about the freedom to create without judgment and to problem solve. You know, how do you tell this story? You know, let's think outside the box and kind of come to it from a different way. And all of a sudden you have the way in which to tell this story physically. You know, most of their stuff is physical, but I, I do think it would inform working with a script or whatever. Um, and I think that that recently has been just a, a great help um, for me personally. That's a great answer. Yeah. So. Do you want to do the, the final one? Sure. Whoa, final, what's question? final question. <laughs> so who do you think we should interview next? Whoa. Who should you interview next? Um, that is a good question. Um, hmm. Um, uh, well, you've already done Gypsy, so maybe the other fingers wouldn't be that interesting. Um, you know, if you can get him, David Dimitri would be interesting. Yeah, he would. Because, you know, his solo show. Mm-hmm. Pretty, solo in many aspects yeah in many aspects is kind of masochistic and beautiful um and talk about you know circus royalty um and i would imagine uh you know he's older than i am he's been everywhere he can kind of do whatever he wants um and uh yeah, he would be pretty interesting. I bet he's got some crazy story. And he's Swiss, so who knows what he's going to say. Um, <laughs> but he's he's amazing. He's amazing. Uh, and then a, a male woman, because you got to have the ladies. Um, well, I mean, David's sister, Masha, she'd be pretty interesting, too, because she directs a lot. And she was amazing. I think she's still performing, but, you know, she's amazing. Wirewalker. 
stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd go for David Dimitri. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Vanessa, thank you so much for doing the podcast. And yeah. Us. Thanks for having me. I got a smile on my face the whole time. I'm oh, like, good. Wow, Lorenzo just telling all these awesome <laughs> stories. That was our interview with Lorenzo Pizzoni. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, tweet us, email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com and subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, please send us your guest suggestions or article suggestions. We really love hearing from you guys. Thank you to Jay for sending us that article. It really got us thinking about, about riding in circus. Have a good weekend. Bye.